Hi everyone, I'm Darren Nair, the creator and host of Pod Hostage Diplomacy. We're currently taking an extended break right now because I'm dealing with health issues. We will be back once I have fully recovered. Thank you so much for listening to Pod Hostage Diplomacy and take care. Welcome to Pod Hostage Diplomacy. We work to free hostages and the unjustly detained around the world. Together with their families, we share their stories and let you know how you can help bring them home. Now, when it comes to using the family to get for Russia to get what they want, if that's the case, they've picked the wrong family because I'm not going to carry water for the Russian authorities. These are some of the most courageous and resilient people among us. I never thought that my mother, Nahi Tagavi, will ever have a link to negotiations in Vienna about the JCPOA. That's so crazy. People who have never given up hope. Trevor told his girlfriend to tell me to, to be strong. So I'm trying to be strong for Trevor. You know, if, if Trevor can cope with what he's dealing with, exactly. we, we can sure cope with the stress. People who will never stop working to reunite their families. We'd like to meet with the president. Uh, we believe that, you know, he has, uh, he's surrounded by lots of uh, experienced and educated advisors, but I don't believe that any of them have ever had a, a child taken hostage by a foreign country, especially not a superpower like Russia. And we'll be right there by their side until their loved one comes back home. Because um, if enough people care, then the right people will care enough. I'm Darren Nair, and I've been campaigning with many of these families for years. When I first started campaigning with these families, I noticed they struggled to get the media attention they needed. So I decided to create this podcast, which is a safe space for the families to speak as long as they need to about their loved ones and what needs to be done to bring them home. Nobody can prepare you for what our family is going through. Even if someone had told me one year before, in one year, this is going to happen, prepare yourself. It's impossible. Thank you for listening and welcome to Pod Hostage Diplomacy. Welcome to Pod Hostage Diplomacy. Paul Whelan, an American citizen from Michigan and a former United States Marine, has been wrongfully imprisoned in Russia since 28 December 2018. The United States government have classified Paul as being wrongfully detained and they have called on the Russian government to release Paul immediately and allow him to come home to his family in the US. To give you an idea who has been calling for Paul's release within the US government, here are just a few names. US President Joe Biden, US Vice President Kamala Harris, US Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, US Ambassador to Russia John Sullivan, and the United States Congress. The House of Representatives have to date passed three bipartisan resolutions calling for Paul's release. Paul's wrongful detention in Russia is not a one-off case. Fellow Americans Trevor Reed and Brittany Griner have also been detained in Russia. Trevor and Paul's family believe that they were detained by the Russians to be used as bargaining chips to extract concessions from the US government. This is state-sponsored hostage-taking, also known as hostage diplomacy. The current US travel advisory for Russia, issued by the State Department, has a level 4 do not travel rating. This travel advisory was last updated on 19 July 2022, with some new information on wrongful detentions. The updated travel advisory states the following. Do not travel to Russia due to the unprovoked and unjustified invasion of Ukraine by Russian military forces, the potential for harassment against US citizens by Russian government security officials, 
the singling out of U.S. citizens in Russia by Russian government security officials, including for detention, the arbitrary enforcement of local law, limited flights into and out of Russia, the embassy's limited ability to assist U.S. citizens in Russia, COVID-19-related restrictions, and terrorism. U.S. citizens residing or traveling in Russia should depart Russia immediately. And finally, it says, exercise increased caution due to wrongful detentions. Here is some further information in that travel advisory within the country summary section. The department has determined that at least one U.S. national is wrongfully detained by the Russian government. Russian security services have arrested U.S. citizens on spurious charges, singled out U.S. citizens in Russia for detention and or harassment, denied them fair and transparent treatment, and have convicted them in secret trials and or without presenting credible evidence. Russian officials may unreasonably delay U.S. consular assistance to detained U.S. citizens. Now, that was the current U.S. State Department's travel advisory for Russia, which was updated last month. We've had the honor of interviewing Paul's sister, Elizabeth Whelan, three times to date. We always tell the families we interview that we'll be campaigning right by their side until their loved ones come back home, and we mean it. So we'll keep you up to date with your campaigns through sitrap pods like this one or breaking news pods. Now, thankfully, Trevor Reed was released on 27 April this year in a prisoner swap between the US and Russia. Unfortunately, Paul Whelan was left behind. We interviewed Elizabeth a few days after that swap on the 4th of May, and that was the last time we spoke. Since then, there have been many significant developments, some positive, some negative, and the situation can change at any moment. We're recording this interview on Sunday, 14th August, and we'll be publishing it on Wednesday, 17th August. As of this moment, both Paul Whelan and Brittany Griner are still being held in Russia. However, that could change very soon. Fingers crossed. Today, we have the honor of speaking to Elizabeth Whelan once again. Elizabeth, welcome back, and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Darren. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you again, although I'm very sorry that we're not yet celebrating Paul's return. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. You're very welcome. Um, now, for our listeners who aren't aware of Paul's case, can you please give them a brief summary of what happened to Paul? Absolutely. So um, Paul, uh, he's 52 years old now, but at the time he was 48, uh, working for uh, as a global security um, uh, specialist for uh, a large automotive company. He would travel around the world to various different countries. Uh, one of the countries he would go to, not on business, was uh, was Russia. Um, over the years, he had made friends in countries all over the world and would travel back whenever he could. This sort of familiarity led one of his friends, a U.S. Marine also, who was getting married to a Russian woman, to ask Paul if he would accompany the wedding party uh, to Moscow in December of 2018 to show the tourists around. And so Paul was delighted to be able to help a friend and went over to Moscow. Uh, unfortunately, one of the people he had previously known in Russia, um, somebody who he considered a, a close acquaintance, um, actually set him up which led to uh, an arrest by the FSB. This friend came and gave a, a thumb drive to him and said it had holiday pictures on it. The FSB uh, broke down the door of his uh, uh, his hotel a few uh, minutes later and arrested him on charges of espionage. Uh, it, it was an extraordinary time. We our family lost 
touch with him. We didn't know where he was. Um, and then finally, his twin brother, David, saw in the news that he'd been arrested on these charges. Um, that has led to now Paul being uh, incarcerated by the Russians for over three and a half years. He spent a couple of years in Lefort, um, uh, sorry, about a year and a half in Lefortovo prison leading up to um, basically a sham trial. Uh, his lawyer was appointed by the Russians. Uh, he had to have emergency surgery at the prison. Uh, and then he was sentenced um, in this trial to a 16-year sentence of forced labor. So now he's in a distant province of Mordovia, about eight hours away from Moscow, uh, working at a forced labor camp in this uh, Stalin-era gulag. Uh, it is tremendously difficult on him, but he is being as strong and courageous as one possibly could under the circumstances. I'm sorry to hear that, Elizabeth. Um, and like I said, we'll continue to campaign with you until Paul's back home. Now, for those of our listeners who aren't aware, American WNBA star Brittany Griner was detained in Russia earlier this year. The US government has stated that she is being wrongfully detained. Elizabeth, would you be able to talk to us about Brittany Griner's case and how it relates to Paul? Um, absolutely. I mean, obviously the details of, of Brittany Griner's case, I'm not going to uh, pretend I can speak to them uh, really any more than I can speak to my to my brothers. You know, uh, Paul has not been able to tell us the details of what actually happened um, through his arrest or trial ever since he's been held. And so, uh, you know, we know basically what we see in the media, you know, about Britney's um, arrest. However, the minute it happened, um, I realized that she was going to be uh, basically wrongfully detained. And I was glad to see that the Robert Levinson Act, uh, a piece of legislation passed last year that sort of established some criteria around wrongful detention. And that includes, you know, someone being arrested to be used uh, against the U.S., basically, that Britney fell into that um, that category. Now, obviously, her celebrity brought an enormous amount of attention to uh, Paul's case, to the issue of wrongful detention, um, and you know, all of that is very good. Unfortunately, that same celebrity um, has also uh, been kind of like a freight train, which has sort of run over some of the attention to um, to Paul. And, uh, you know, we do worry that he will sort of be lost in the dust um, as the media spins up the story of Brittany and tends to think now of Paul as an afterthought. Uh, it's unfortunate, we really need them to be united together. But in the meantime, um, I have nothing but sympathy and just the most heartfelt feeling for, for Brittany, for um, Sherelle, her wife, for uh, the family and friends. Um, this is an awful scenario to be in. Um, it is it is just the worst. <laughs> and and unfortunately, a very small number of people understand exactly what's going on with hostage diplomacy. And I appreciate, Darren, uh, the op opportunity to talk on your podcast and perhaps explain a little bit more about you know what these countries like Russia are doing to the U.S. and to our citizens when they arrest people on these on these charges. So I think um, people have been very distracted by the whole idea of, you know, has Brittany done something wrong? Has she not done something wrong? And rather than focusing on the fact that she literally could have had lint on her shoe and the Russians would have decided that that was a reason to arrest her, it could have been anything. It actually probably could have been anybody who fit uh, whatever criteria that they had. They needed I feel another American uh, in order to try to coerce the U.S. government because they hadn't had any success uh, 
at, at that point, you know, they're, they're still holding Paul for some sort of reason. And so the issue here isn't whether or not Brittany uh, is, um, has done something, has broken a law in Russia. The issue is that Russia is conducting hostage diplomacy. Um, they are coming up with, with reasons, uh, whether uh, fake or not, to hold Americans, hold them basically hostage um, in order to get something from the U.S. Uh, it's a huge problem. It's happening around the world. There are over 50 Americans being held in 18 countries around the world. And Paul and Brittany are two of these victims. And we need to show some unity uh, to help get them home. I absolutely agree with you, Elizabeth. Uh, I think there's a saying that goes, learn to tell the difference between a sworn enemy and an imperfect friend. Um, from what I've noticed with Paul's detention and especially with Brittany Griner's detention, there's a lot of internal debate within the United States about her being a woman, her being African-American, her being queer, um, and identity politics. That's what the Russians want. Uh, they, uh, they want the United States, they want the Americans to fight with each other, um, but the thing is, the real perpetrators here are the Russians, and we need to focus on them. Um, so there have been some big developments since we last spoke in May. Um, one of them includes a call with the president. Can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. It actually has been kind of a, a rough summer from that point of view. Um, you know, Obviously, we were upset about Paul not coming home with Trevor, as delighted as we were to see Trevor Reed return. Then, you know, all the celebrity and the noise around Britney's uh, arrest, and we wonder what that means for Paul. Then I see on Twitter, <laughs> sometime in early uh, July, I think it was, um, that the president had, had called and spoken to Sherelle Greiner. And there's been this big push uh within, I think, families whose loved ones are detained overseas to try to get in front of the president um, as if, you know, that is going to be the key to getting their loved ones home. Um, although I've always sympathized with that view, um, I felt it was a little bit misdirected because really the it's not President Biden who's holding our loved ones hostage. It's these foreign countries. And we need to really make sure that we're pushing against them, not necessarily against the president. But of course, it's always very comforting to feel that, you know, the president is, is on your side and is working to bring your loved one home. So when I saw that the president had, uh, you know, called Sherelle, I actually had a bit of a Twitter meltdown, <laughs> not perhaps the wisest thing to do. But I, I was so upset at a process that forced families to feel that they had to have this presidential attention because I felt that behind the scenes, what I knew was going on did not reflect that. Um, and yet in the public and to the media, we were constantly being asked, you know, were we getting the president's attention? And now he was the president himself sort of unevenly distributing his attention. And so, you know, that's what I got upset about the, uh, it, it led to a bit of a media firestorm, and my brother and I ended up doing a lot of appearances that week, trying to explain that we were not upset at, at Brittany Griner, at Sherelle Griner, at anybody in the Griner 
camp. Um, we weren't upset at the president. What we were upset about was that there wasn't a, a better way to deal with um, this problem of, of hostage taking. And also that, you know, once you do start giving attention to one family, you kind of have to do it to all. It, you really can't be uneven handed. So I ended up having a very good conversation later in the week with Jake Sullivan, uh, the national security advisor, where he, you know, he gave me the information that sort of settled me back down, <laughs> you know, because it has been difficult, you know, to get, it, it's hard, the State Department, for example, with whom we have had a lot of uh contact isn't always able to give us the detail of information that a family wants. And after a while, we get a little frustrated, I think, with the way the State Department has to work with us. And so to hear, of course, from the National Security Advisor, you know, really calm me down. Well, then the next day I'm in New York City, I'm attending a, an opening uh, I had some artwork in a show. I'm walking down the street to meet somebody actually from Hostage US, <laughs> who I have to recommend highly. Uh, Hostage US is a an organization that supports families when while their loved ones are being detained and held hostage and also helps those people when they come home. And so I was meeting somebody from that organization and I thought, oh, my phone is ringing. It must be her telling me she's stuck on the subway or something like that. Um, and it turned out to be the president. And it, I was I was shocked. <laughs> Took me a minute to realize who was on the on the phone. You know, and your brain just doesn't expect the president to be on your cell phone. Um, and I zipped into a, uh, a a restaurant where it was just opening. The waiters and such were putting the tables out. I, I just sort of went in there and sat quietly. And it's really funny because if that had happened locally where I live, someone would have come over and said, you know, oh, we're not open and tried to you know, shiving me out. But as it was New York, and they're probably used to people doing odd things all the time, they just let me sit there and finish the conversation. Um, but he was really, he was really reassuring. Um, he is so cognizant of all of these detention, uh, you know, all of these wrongful detentions and the hostage situations. But it, the the you know, regardless of how much effort he puts in, how much he cares. He's not the problem. It's it's the Kremlin that's the problem. It's Russia that's the problem. And I made that clear to him that we really did understand that because um, I, I'm sure that you know you you see all you see in the media is what is President Biden going to do? Well, how about somebody asking what President Putin is going to do and why he hasn't done it already? Because that's where the fault of this situation lies. President Biden inherited Paul's situation. Uh, Paul had been already held for two years by the time the current administration came along, and. No one, not this president or another president or anyone can wave a magic wand at this end and and boom, people are free. It just doesn't work like that. That's not what hostage diplomacy is. And that's why it's so important that we bring hostage diplomacy to an end with punishments and deterrence. Um, and that executive order uh, that the president put out um, a few weeks after that, uh, you know, basically calling for the opportunity to, to punish these um, um, hostile foreign countries, I think is a very significant move. So quick question on the call from the president. So I'm a big fan of the West Wing. I've watched <laughs> every episode at least two, three times. Uh, please don't judge me. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, the question is, uh, what was the call like? Was it his executive assistant says, please hold for the president? Or did President Biden just start talking immediately? 
Well, that's, you know, so the, I'm not going to really discuss the detail of the call just because I, you know, I feel it sort of... No, no, I understand. Yeah, I just want yeah. to know the first few words. Did you, was it <laughs> him? <laughs> oh, it was really funny. So, I, you know, I see private number on my phone, but I've got a number of people who call me like that, clients and stuff. So I said, hello, and I'm expecting, you know, my friend Chris to, to say, hey, I'm still coming on the subway or something. And somebody says, um, hello, this is Joe Biden. And... I just didn't, you know, like you said, normally a call from the White House, there's a switchboard saying, please hold, you know, Jake Sullivan will be on the line or whoever it happens to be. Um, this completely took me by surprise. So I was just like, oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, because I didn't, it just didn't clue. And he probably wondered, you know, this is probably not the reaction he gets all the time when he calls people, you know, finally, like the, my, the, the neural saps and the synapses started actually working. And that's when I realized, oh, who it is. And I better get myself into a, into a quiet place to have the conversation. So it was, um, you know, it was, it was a, a very informal call. It was, you know, six or seven minutes long. Um, it was really reassuring, but I also tried to, you know, just, I don't know, just explain myself that, that, you know, we knew, that his people were on this already. You know, we were, we had total faith that the U.S. was doing what it could, that we understood that the problem was with Russia and had been with Russia. Well, it's good that you spoke to the president. And I know, as you said before, not many families, actually very few have been able to speak to President Biden himself. In the case of the call with Cheryl Greiner, she spoke to both President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, right? Which has never happened for any of the other families. And again, yeah, this goes true. to the point. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, it, it's true. And it, uh, you know, it, it does. This is the sort of thing that some of these other families whose loved ones have been held for a lot longer, um, you know, uh, it, it can cause concern, anxiety. Um, you know, we're all after, we're competing for the same resources. Um, and, and so as delighted as I am to have had that call, um, I did in follow-up conversations with people um, throughout the U.S. government strongly suggest that some moves get made very quickly to address all of the other families and to try to, you know, to even out... Uh, not so much even the attention, but the information, because what we're really looking for is not so much reassurance as information, um, not to get way off on a, on a different topic, but there's a, a, a policy initiative called PPD 30 about hostages, which was put in place during the Obama administration that allows certain bits of information to be declassified and then shared with families so that they can be kept up to date. That is not currently part of policy when it comes to wrongful detention. So that means families of wrongful detainees can't get the same level of, of information, even though really you're just talking about a nomenclature difference. Um, and this is something that I've been very concerned about and have spoken out about within the government a lot, about how we also need access to that information. Because if we knew what was going on to some, at least to a greater extent than we do at the moment, there might not be this line of people trying to get to see the president because right now we feel we have to get the reassurance and understand that activity is happening that has been sort of created at that point. There are often large, important decisions that have to be made that the president does have to weigh in on. You know, if we're going to trade somebody that's an unpalatable option or that the Department of Justice is not keen on, sometimes that takes 
a president commuting a sentence or some other large decision like that to take place. So we understand that, that uh, you know, a president has to be involved at some level. But my feeling is that if we were all getting much more information at the lower level on a constant basis, that we would understand the president's position, how the NSC was working, uh, you know, on the on the case, and that would be very reassuring rather than having to do these kinds of media songs and dance that lead to, to these calls. Um, it's, it's extremely frustrating. The politics of the situation, unfortunately, cannot be ignored. And I'd like to see a lot more of the policy around bringing home, uh, you know, wrongful detainees, attacking the problem be taken out of the political sphere and be dealt with um in a in some manner that doesn't you know have to that there doesn't have to be a circus all the time i absolutely agree with you now secretary blinken secretary of state anthony blinken has publicly proposed a prison exchange between the us and russia so basically the exchange is for paul and Brittany with victor boot uh the arms dealer who Nicolas Cage played in the movie Lord of War. Um, do you want to just talk about that and the pushback the U.S. government is getting from Russia? Yeah, and, and I'll start off by saying that I don't believe Secretary Blinken ever actually said that. I think what he said was that they had made a significant offer to the Russians and that media speculation um, then said, well, that must be Victor Boot. Um, and then uh, one of the media outlets released what they said was, um, you know, from a source uh, within the government about um, different parts of what that negotiation can be about. And I can't begin to tell you how annoyed I am about this subject. And so you'll have to pardon me because I'm going to get on my soapbox about this. Um, to begin with, this whole, you know, uh, the Whelan family is not has not been made aware of the specifics of the negotiations, even though obviously, uh, you know, we know what the Russians have been asking for over over time. That has also changed over time. They have not always been consistent about what they wanted. But we have been really annoyed, or I should say I have been really annoyed. Let me take this on myself. With this whole concentration on the idea of the swap, you know, the, you know, like the, like the, you know, prisoners being exchanged on the foggy bridge at night with the, with the, you know, the lamps glowing and everybody in trench coats, you know, this entire, this entire story, you know, or the, the swap on the tarmac or whatever it happens to be. The media seems to love this. They're fixated on it and they want to, you know, continuously talk about whether or not um, someone like Victor Boot should be returned and then get every pundit in the world uh, on their shows uh, weighing in. It drives me nuts for a number of reasons, as did the quote unquote leak this one media outlet decided to release. Because what you're doing, and I'm addressing media <laughs> very specifically at this particular moment, what you're doing by advertising that, by promoting specific uh, talking points of the Russians is that you're providing cover for them basically to double down on ridiculous requests. Uh, and you're also narrowing the scope of negotiations um, 
and these are ongoing cases. Uh, you, the, the fallout for doing something like that could possibly lead to one or more wrongful detainees being left in a, a country and a negotiation not working. Um, it is very important that the media understand that by promoting Moscow's talking points and doing their work for them, uh, by narrowing the scope of a discussion like this, that uh, – that this has real life impact on my brother. Um, I will be very upset if we find out that Paul is left behind again, because I know that the uh, it'll be the the talking points that the media decided to put out there, and the divisiveness that the Russians have been able to create in the public sphere um, around Brittany Griner and around Paul um, that that will have a direct impact on this. So. Not, you know, when when we talk about there's just this assumption that has been made. Oh well, Blinken must have said, you know, Victor Boot, but he didn't. He did not actually say that. And it would be really, really useful if um, if folks looked a little bit deeper on on these subjects. Uh, so I was very glad to get back to Secretary Blinken himself. I was so pleased to see him get out and the media and say, hey, by the way, we have made an offer and we made it in June and the Russians haven't been getting back to us. Um, I think it was very important to state that because I know as a family member, all the work that's been done behind the scenes month after month by so many people uh, here and in Russia to try to get Paul out, to try to get Trevor out, to try to get Brittany out. Um, but I'm not always, of course, free to, to, to mention that and there is sort of this idea that, well, nothing is being done, you know, nothing is being done, when actually there's quite a bit that's being done, but we choose not to run to the media and, and broadcast all of it. So it was really good for the secretary to do that and to put the Russians on notice that um, this business, which they have done time and time again of just ignoring and not engaging uh, in the diplomatic channels as they could be, um, that we weren't going to put up with it. I thought that was a really strong move. Uh, thank you for clarifying um, that, Elizabeth. That's very helpful uh, for myself and for our listeners. Now, U.S. domestic politics can be a polarizing issue. And the government has received a lot of criticism of this proposed prisoner swap, even though the previous administration did engage in prisoner swaps themselves and brought Americans home. So what are your thoughts on this? Well, you're right. Um, it, it, the, the political and, and even the social, um, you know, landscape right now is, is really, um, it, it is fractured in, in a, in a terrible way. And I do hate to see, um, Paul and Brittany being dragged into this entire situation. Um, I noticed around the time of Brittany's, so I'm on Twitter a certain amount, and I noticed around the time of Brittany's um, sentencing, all of a sudden the Twitter trolls uh, roll out in, in great force, basically trying to um, stir up, you know, different types of politics at our end in, in terms of saying, oh, you know, uh, who should come home first? Or um, what about all the people who are in jail in the U.S. Uh, on cannabis charges? And, uh, you know, what about this and what about that? And what about uh, what Brittany said X number of years ago about this, that and the other? Or what, you know, likewise about about Paul. Just trying to, to gin up the American public. And unfortunately, um, 
some rather craven politicians decided to jump on that bandwagon. And rather than actually talking about hostage diplomacy and how we needed to show a united front and bring home every American who is wrongfully detained, instead they used the um, the situation around Britney's arrest to make political uh, points um, you know, media picked up these stories uh, so that they could get more clicks and likes. And it, it is really terrible because I, I've had friends of Paul's, people who are supporters of Paul, you know, get in touch with, with me and say, well, we want Paul to be brought home first. He deserves to be brought home first or, or to say something negative about Britney's situation because they want Paul's situation to be addressed. And even though they have Paul's, I mean, they care deeply about Paul. They don't seem to understand that by by pushing this narrative, by by actually inflaming this division, they're actually potentially causing a situation where Paul may end up being left behind again. Because by showing how divisive an issue Brittany can be uh, in the public sphere like this, all that does is provide cover for Russia to put President Biden in an uncomfortable position of having to do another one-for-one swap rather than two-for-one or whatever he might want to do if, if a prisoner trade is decided upon. So these folks who think they're, you know, uh, by by you know, saying something awful about, about Britney so that they want, you know, because they want Paul promoted, um, they might actually be causing more trouble for Paul than they probably intend to. Um, what we really need to see is for people to put all of these identity poli- politics and, and partisanship and uh, discussions uh, about about religion and, and uh, you know, and party or any of that stuff, put all of that aside. And instead, as Americans unit, unify around this idea that foreign countries can't take Americans and hold them hostage and hold any administration, Republican, Democratic, whichever one, hold any administration um, in, in such a way that we're coerced into doing something for this foreign nation. This is a national security issue. This is not about cannabis. This is not about, uh, you know, why was Paul in Russia? It is not about why Brittany was in Russia. If, if we have the ability to get a visa to go to a country, we should expect when we're in that country not to get falsely arrested, not to be wrongfully detained, not to be held as a hostage in in uh, hostage diplomacy. This is where we need to focus everyone's attention. And I am I am very upset at the politicians who have decided to to cause a divisive issue around Paul and, and Brittany, which neither one of them deserve and which both of them will have to live with when they come home for the rest of their lives. Um, people who don't know better, don't understand hostage diplomacy, are making statements that are actually going to cause uh problems in the negotiations to bring them home are going to cause problems in the negotiations to bring home other Americans held in other countries. Uh, There's nothing that Russia likes to see more than our ability to fight with each other over the stupidest things. Uh, And and this has to come to an end. And I also ask the media to, to take some time and look at these issues, point out what's going on, point out that it's Russia that is trying to gin up these problems, uh, point out the politicians that are actually 
potentially going to do harm to our ability to bring Americans home. Uh, this is this is not a good way forward for any American who's being held wrongfully anywhere. Well said, Elizabeth. I agree with you. Now, what should the Russian government do? <laughs> they should let Paul and Brittany go right away. And they should have done so from the start, which they know. But, you know, we're dealing here with bad faith. We're bad. At, these are bad actors, right? They, they Taking Americans is a bad faith move. I don't care which country, Iran, China, Venezuela, uh, Syria, it, you're already a bad, you're already operating in bad faith by taking Americans and, and using them in this manner to start with. So to expect that Russia is suddenly going to become uh, a good faith negotiator uh, and not to start asking for stupid things or changing their mind or not taking part in the conversation or, uh, you know, whatever other nonsense they've been playing at for the last three and a half years um, is, uh, you know, I mean, that's expecting too much of them. Uh, it, it, Russia should be doing the right thing and letting go people who they know that they're holding for, for reasons to do with coercing the U.S. But of course, they're not going to do that. Um, what I do hope, because not everyone in Russia is an awful person. <laughs> um, in fact, I'm not even going to name them because I'm afraid they'll get in trouble. But we've actually encountered some really good people who've tried to be helpful through the three and a half years. But there are some really awful people who are operating within the Russian authorities. And I'm hoping that those people are not the ones who are going to be involved in the negotiation and that the cooler heads, the more intelligent folk, the people who actually can see further down the line that countries were all on this one earth together. And at some point, we've got to find out ways to get along. Um, that not holding each other's citizens uh, wrongfully is a very good start um, to making sure that some type of communication line uh, stay, stays open um, into the future. So that is, that is my hope. Whether that happens or not, I'm not sure. I do hope that cooler heads will prevail in the long run and that we'll see Paul and Brittany freed very soon. What should the US government be doing better? Well, you know, I'm I'm actually I have really been heartened by the people I've been working with uh, within the U.S. government over the last, um, especially over the last year or so. Just uh, really, ca they care so much about Americans who are wrongfully detained. I think we've got a, a number of of maybe ingrained issues. Uh, one being that um, sometimes within the State Department, relationships with the different countries seem to supersede the uh, the need to actually hold countries to account when they're doing something they shouldn't be. Uh, I think that we need to get over that um, and start making sure that putting Americans in front of policy and in front of relationships um, is a U.S. government-wide approach. Um, apart from that, I would say I really, you know, Putin's taking up a lot of the oxygen right now, and that is actually good for Paul and Brittany because they're getting a lot of the attention within the hostage enterprise uh, to try to resolve this. Also, I do believe that there are people within the Russian authorities who would also like this resolved. Um, so that means that this is a, a doable, solvable issue. I hope to see the same level of attention very quickly applied to uh, the wrongful detainees in, in all of these other countries, um, that 17 other countries that, you know, uh, where we need a similar amount of forceful attention. Um, I know the special presidential envoy 
for Hostage Affairs, their office has been uh, enlarging over the last year, ever since the Robert Levinson Act went forward. I hope that Congress um, quickly gets the funding together to continue that, to make sure that that office is well-funded, um, that there's communication throughout the government, that um, the special presidential envoy uh, group can move seamlessly through all of the various different um, branches and, and departments that they need to deal with in order to effectively get the support to bring Americans home. And I hope that this executive order that has just come out um, will be given teeth really quickly because not only do we need to bring Americans home, we need to actually punish and deter those countries that are likely uh, to, to do this behavior again in the future. Because that is what has incentivized hostage taking, not continuing to no negotiate, not bringing Americans home, but the fact that once we've done, we've never done anything about it. Not only this administration, but every other administration. In fact, for hundreds of years, people have, have done a deal to get someone home, but not punished the countries that do this sort of behavior. Uh, and so this is what I'm looking for next, is I'm looking for that ability to bring the hammer down on these countries that are behaving in this way. I agree with you. Uh, we have to do something to punish these countries for taking our citizens hostage. Um, speaking of this executive order, which was issued by President Biden on 19th of July, bolstering efforts to bring Americans held hostage and wrongfully detained abroad back home. Um, in my last episode, I interviewed John Pereira, son of Jose Pereira, who has been wrongfully imprisoned in Venezuela since November 2017. He and his five American colleagues worked for Citgo Petroleum and went down to Caracas for a business meeting and have been detained since. Collectively, they are known as the Citgo Six. Thankfully, earlier this year, one of them, Gustavo Cardenas, was freed. However, the five remaining members, including Jose, are still being held in prison in Venezuela. John told me, that the people responsible for wrongfully detaining his father already have sanctions and travel bans imposed on them. That did not deter them from continuing this practice of hostage diplomacy. Even though the executive order is a good step in the right direction, it's not enough. More needs to be done because the only tools that seem to be in place to punish the hostage takers in this executive order are sanctions and travel bans. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, my feeling is that we're often sanctioning the wrong people. We're often sanctioning or giving travel bans to people who are too far from the uh, point of um, responsibility. Uh, you know, we're dealing mostly with authoritarian governments, and that means the power resides at the top. It's not distributed evenly amongst a government. And therefore, you know, sanctioning somebody at the lower level is a, is a good start, but we really need to to uh, aim closer to the top. And my feeling is that we need to be a lot more personal about how we're going about it. Um, if, if it's not working, then, then we're not really applying sanctions on the right people. We're not making it hurt enough. We're not finding out um, where, you know, where they're what their desires are that they uh, that they want, you know, um, are they hiding money somewhere? Um, are they? Is it there a certain country their family members like to travel to um, that it would actually be a problem if they couldn't go there? I mean, I think we need to to start dealing 
not necessarily have one rule across the board for all of these 18 countries, but get smarter about how we're uh, approaching each individual one, how we're applying um, particular punishments. And I agree with you. The executive order is a good start. It is it is not the be all and end all. And in order for us to actually be able to be effective, not only does the U.S. have to be willing to really get creative about how they're going to, you know, try to deter foreign countries. We really need, and I believe that Secretary Blinken is already working on this, a, a multilateral approach. This has to be like the sanctions that were put in place over the war on Ukraine. Um, uh, this has to be a situation whereby uh, it, you know, you can't kind of get around sanctions from one country by by just maneuvering to another country instead. So I'm hoping to see that the Western countries, it seems to be mostly Western countries that are um, the victims of this uh, practice, work together so that um, a wrongful detention basically on one is a wrongful detention of all, and that these countries are, are really sort of brought to heel when it comes to, to wrongful detention. This isn't going to happen overnight, um, but I'm, I'm just glad to see that we're making any step at all towards that. Um, and you know it it's a very difficult situation there are there are people who are going to try to save face you know the people who know they could be targeted for these sanctions who are going to try to worm their way out by pretending to be interlocutors to help wrongful detainees get home and hope and hoping that they're sort of going to sidestep any kind of punishment by doing that and i think we have to have eyes wide open um to the kinds of shenanigans that we can expect from some of these countries. They're not operating in good faith. Um, so we have to we have to start with that as the as the basis as as to how we treat them. So, you know, like I said, I I don't know the details of where we can go from here, but I'm I'm hoping that we're going to be pretty clever about it. Out of these 18 countries, not all of them are adversaries like Iran, Venezuela, or Russia. Some right. of them are actual allies like Rwanda and Saudi Arabia. And when I use the term allies, I use quotes. Um, <laughs> um, but in those cases where the countries are supposedly our allies or allies of the United States, um, there is a lot more leverage. You don't necessarily have to punish them. Right. Uh, because some examples would be, I know there's this Australian engineer, Robert Pether, who's currently wrongfully imprisoned in Iraq. Right. And Iraq is frankly an ally of the Australian government because the Australian government is giving them foreign aid. So you don't have to sanction them. You don't have to impose travel bans. You can just say, we'll reduce the amount of money we're paying you in foreign aid if you're going to wrongfully imprison our citizens. Uh, so it doesn't just have to be sanctions and travel bans. It's about using whatever leverage you have. And I appreciate that really works if they are an ally. It's a lot harder when it's countries that are already being sanctioned, uh, like Russia, Venezuela, uh, Iran, and Syria, and North Korea. Exactly. But, it, you know, you bring up a really good point. Um, it should not be difficult for us to be able to get our wrongful deten detainees home from these countries that we do give money to, um, have, you know, treaties or other agreements with. Um, what is required is that whoever is in charge of, of those particular um, 
gives, you know, these these gifts that we're giving to these other countries, that um, that they are on board with understanding that they are actually um, helping continue the detainee of of Americans or whoever is being wrong, wrongfully held by not um, allowing that gift basically to be used as as a point of leverage and i do think of of rwanda when i think of this i think that's a a very good example of um you know we give a great deal of aid we certainly shouldn't have any person who uh is an american being held wrongfully in that country absolutely um i've interviewed the daughters of porus sabagina he's a us permanent resident and belgian citizen currently wrongfully detained in rwanda he is a recipient of the US Presidential Medal of Freedom. He was credited with saving 1200 lives during the Rwandan genocide. Um he was he was played by Don Cheadle in the movie Hotel Rwanda. Um and I'm glad that when Secretary Blinken went to Rwanda a few days ago, he publicly stated that he discussed the wrongful detention of Borussia Sabina and he used the words wrongful detention. Uh, which is good. Um, I, I'm also, I've noticed a statement that the US government has used many times, um, that they have no higher priority than bringing Americans wrongfully detained or held hostage abroad home. They always, um, they've been using this term, no higher priority. Now, we, when we spoke previously, <laughs> Uh, you mentioned that it's very important to manage the family's expectations. <laughs> and I get why politically saying we have no higher priority is a good thing. It helps politically. But if the actions don't back that up, and I'm taking into account the actions that we don't see in the media, um, because I'm just thinking, I, if I'm in government, if I'm the Secretary of State, I'm the President, I obviously want my citizens wrongfully detained or held hostage or brought back home. But there is a lot going on in this world. Uh, there are wars, there's COVID, there's climate change. And I'd rather be honest than say something the families want to hear. Because if I say something the families want to hear, like I have no higher priority than bringing Americans home, but I can't show the actions to prove that that is the case, then the people are not going to trust me as a leader. Um, and so I've seen some feedback from the families uh, and even former hostages that say that, well, the government's very good at giving us platitudes um, and telling us what we want to hear, but the actions don't back up uh, what they say. And yes, there may be a lot of things going on in the background, but at the end of the day, it's not about the, it's not just about the efforts. It's about results. And they haven't been able to bring these Americans back home. And again, taking into account what you said, it's not the American government's fault that these individuals are wrongfully imprisoned overseas. America can't control how every other country in the world behaves, but they can be honest about what they can do and what they can't. Because I saw some articles um, relating to Brittany Griner's uh, detention in Russia. They said, Americans are now understanding or realizing the limits of American power. You can't run the whole world. You can't control how every country reacts and behaves. Um, and 
wrongful detention cases are a good example. What are your thoughts on this statement when the, there is no higher priority for the US government than to bring Americans home, given that it's your brother has been held in Russia for three and a half years? And also, I appreciate uh, he was taken during the Trump administration and President Biden came into office in 2021, January. Well, you know, I, I, I look at this both as a family member and as somebody who's now deeply involved in the whole, <laughs> in the whole, you know, sort of hostage problem. So, um, yeah, I mean, as a family member, it's music to your ears, you know, to hear that somebody cares that much about these wrongful detainees because, you know, there are, okay, to us, it's 50 plus people. That's a large number. Uh, in the scheme of things, when when you're dealing with a population of millions, that is not a large number. Um, I think that the families of detainees realize that it's not even so much that the, the bringing Americans home, the individual Americans is the priority. The priority is the fact that wrongful detention is a national security Achilles heel. This is a huge problem that these foreign countries can can take people. Um, obviously, it is good politically to say, you know, we, we put Americans before everything else. And I have been pleased with the level of transparency and family engagement that this administration has has tried to have with families. But this leads me to that whole business about declassifying classified information so that we know what's actually going on, because that's what actually will prove to families that uh, that it is a priority. You know, once you've been doing this for years, I hate to say it, um, we're often much more cognizant about some of the previous administration's legislation uh, about various different ways. Um, something such as the agreements with Iran can be approached over nuclear weapons um, that involve bringing Americans home. You know, we've got some really specific and often nuanced takes that 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 take into account years worth of concentrating on this sole topic. Um, you know, it's. I think once you have that viewpoint, you want to know at that same granular level precisely how things are going, you know, precisely what's being done. Uh, how is that? How are these agreements going to be worked? Who is going to the meetings? Um, what are they planning on presenting? Are the, are the names of the wrongful detainees being said? You know, so we're looking – it is a platitude to say – you know, no higher priority. Um, the way to for families not to take it as a platitude is for them to understand the detail of why that is the case in each individual one of these of these cases. But I think overall, what what the problem is is that the statement is only half of the story, isn't it? It probably is for every single one of the people who's saying that one of the highest priorities. They know that this is a problem. They know it's a, a terrible thing for Americans to be held in this manner overseas. I mean, basically, the country, the hostile foreign country is waging a little miniature war with with our American citizens uh, and wanting something uh, for it. You know, it's, it's a huge problem. But what they're not saying is that we are on the back foot because 
the hostage is already has already been taken. They're already, uh, you know, I've been using the phrase hostage took. <laughs> it's not about, you know, trying to deter future hostage takers. These people are, have already been taken. We already are on the back foot because in order to get these people back, we now have to enter into a negotiation with a bad faith actor, uh, somebody who's already done something awful. Um, and now we've got to try to negotiate with them. So I think that the clarity around that is what's missing um, about the, the, you know, about those honest talks with Americans about, you know, what other leverage that other countries might have over us for, for this, that, and the other. But that does not play in Peoria, as they say. Um, that does not play well politically, because that is the sort of statement that, um, you know, an opposing party who wants to get elected will jump on and say, oh, that shows weakness and this, that, and the other, where what it really shows is a sensible and rational approach to the fact that we have, you know, all of these countries on this one globe and not everybody gets along and not everybody has power in every single aspect all the time. That's why we need to regain the power work with other countries to stop this business from happening because it is an Achilles heel and we need to, you know, we need to cover that with some pretty, pretty strong metal, not just paper over the subject, but actually do something. Uh, and I think, so I think there is that nuanced take, you know, we, there's the one phrase that we hear, there's what families need to know, there's what Americans need to know, and there's what we need to do about the problem in general. Now, what can the public do to help bring Paul and Brittany home? Well, you know, I'd like, I'd like basically, if you want to bring either Paul or Brittany home or both, then we need to talk about Paul and Brittany together. Um, regardless of what you personally might think about a person's color, uh, uh, about, uh, their past, about, you know, anything about what they were doing in Russia, regardless of that, the American public needs to talk about bringing home both Paul and Brittany at the same time, because that takes the wind out of the Russians' sails. It doesn't give them any divisive uh, options to try to use against us. Um, and it states clearly, clearly to the U.S. government that the appetite is for bringing both Americans home. We cannot let the Russians or these other uh, hostile foreign nations divide Americans against each other so easily. It's just ridiculous. Uh, it, it's, it's not necessary. Neither Paul nor Brittany are being held for reasons other than because Russia wants something in return. That is wrongful detention. That's hostage diplomacy. We need to make a united stand to bring them both back and quit this sniping, uh, which unfortunately has been um, the flames of that are, are fanned by Russian trolls and by unfortunately some bad actors on our on our own side who would ha who would uh, be happy to create divisive politics. We need to go beyond polit politics, talk about our people as a group, um, and support them as a group. And this also goes for those Americans who are being held in Iran, Venezuela, etc. Uh, we need all of them out of all of the countries as soon as possible. It'll be a lot easier to do if we have some unity from the American um, public on this. I agree with you. Um, and I just want to clarify one thing. I, I think the debate about Brittany Griner's detention in Russia isn't all about bad faith politics. Some of it is well-intentioned. Some of it is about using the media coverage around her case 
to influence and affect change within the United States uh, to change U.S. policy for the better. So I think some of the athletes have been talking about uh, women athletes getting paid a lot less than the men, which is why Britney had to go and play in a foreign country uh, to make a living. Or you can see the comparisons between Americans being held for cannabis charges and uh, what Russia are doing. But you can also realize that, yes, American uh, domestic policy um, needs to improve around cannabis use, uh, however you feel about it. But my point is, there are people who are using this, uh, her detention and the media coverage around it to shine a light on the issues within uh, domestic US domestic politics. So it's not all bad faith. Um, so I, I I completely appreciate that because I, I think I was listening to uh, uh, John Stewart's podcast, uh, The Problem with John Stewart, and he was talking about this. And I think even Secretary Blinken and President Biden have uh, s- implied this or stated this publicly that you have to be an example uh, if you want to ask other countries to do better. You have to lead by example. And there are obviously going to be issues within the U.S. Uh, domestically in terms of politics. But I think at the end of the day, it goes to the point where um, we need to be able to tell the difference between a sworn enemy and an imperfect friend. And, right. Uh, <laughs> um, so I think I, I just I, wanted to make, yeah. yeah, I just wanted to make the point that not all debate about cannabis use and uh, uh, women athletes not getting paid as much as the men is about it's meant to be divisive it's about bad politics or even a debate around um, african americans and the stereotypical racism it's not i'm not saying they're all bad faith some of it is but some of it some of this debate is meant to affect change to raise awareness as well you know i i, I do understand that i think however that um those conversations have to be separated out from Britney's actual um, situation in Russia, which is not a situation that is happening in America. It's a situation that's happening in Russia under under Russia's uh, you know Russia's way of doing things. And so it's sort of comparing apples to oranges. I think the debate around those issues, like the arrests over cannabis here in the U.S., absolutely have to take place. And it you know it's good to bring awareness to that. But when um, when media coverage does not then say, but that's not the situation that Brittany is facing. Um, she is facing a situation where she is being held as a as a hostage. When that clarification between the two issues isn't made, I think it is a problem. Because what it does is it, it encourages whataboutism. Um, and people, rather than trying to solve the problem and supporting Brittany um, as a victim of wrongful detention, uh, end up just going, well, you know, uh, well, what about what happens in, in the U.S.? And that's a non-starter. And that is the type of troll activity that, you know, you tend to see a lot on Twitter, for example, um, of people just trying to use what about, whataboutism to deflect from what the real problem is. But absolutely, I mean, there is, there's a lot to be said about, you know, why, why Brittany has to play overseas in the first place, um, you know, what we 
how we deal with incarceration in, in this country. That is not um, something, though, that should stop us from dealing with the problem that we have with wrongful detention and trying to get our people home, you know. Um, so uh, I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen both sides of the argument. But I think I'm reacting very much to people who know Paul or, or know me or know my parents who've been getting in touch and, and saying things which are really not helpful in the general scheme of things. That has got to stop. People have to be a little bit more, you know, uh, just think a little bit harder about who might have put that idea out there and why it why it could be actually playing into the enemy's hands rather than being helpful to bringing Paul home. I think that's just a very important point. Absolutely. Um, so if I'm a member of the American public contacting the White House, my senator or my representative, what are the key points you want me to communicate to them? Because I know you've already, I've already uh, asked you what the public can do, but let's say I want to contact my senator or representative and I come into contact with them. Um, what are, I mean, they're, they're only going to give me, what, five, ten seconds of the time anyway. So what are the key points you want me to communicate to them or uh, for our listeners who are in the United States? What are the key points that you would want us to communicate? Well, I think to start off with, I would, um, if I were just a random person talking to a member of Congress, I would say, you know, I really want you to support not only bringing you know, Paul Whelan and, and uh, Brittany Griner home, but also doing what you can um, to support any moves to deter and punish these countries that are uh, wrongfully detaining Americans. Because I think that that is part of our leverage at this point, um, to, to know that there are actual teeth to that executive order, to know that um, Americans aren't going to just be like, okay, so-and-so's home, we're done, you know, which is how it's gone before, um, and, and then left that country to continue that, um, you know, that bad behavior. This is not something that's going to get solved over, overnight. It needs to have uh, members of Congress standing behind it. Um, so that would be one I think a very useful uh, point to make because it helps not only Americans in the future, protects all of us. Um, we should be able to travel anywhere we can get a visa to go uh, without this this idea of wrongful detention. But it also um, points out that we can use that idea of punishment or deterrent as leverage against uh, those who are currently holding people and, you know, and up the ante on our end. We've got to be able to take control of this narrative somehow. And then I think just the expression of support for both Paul and Brittany, just saying, hey, we want to see them both come home. And we want to see the all of the other Americans returned, you know, that we want a forceful approach. So however an individual wants to say that, but basically just, you know, expressing Paul, uh, support for, for Paul and Brittany and asking for continued continued efforts to be made to stop these countries from, from doing this sort of behavior. I think those are the, the two key points to make it um, right now. Elizabeth, we're almost at the end of our interview. Is there anything else you'd like to mention? I'm just going to check my notes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that, you know, one of the things that has been a little bit concerning to me is just watching this media freight train really run over my brother. Um, you know, he, to first 
oh, Brittany's being uh, arrested just like Paul Whelan, to then, oh, and there's this other American being held, to now sometimes he's not even mentioned in his story. Paul Whelan has been held in Russia for over three and a half years. Um, you know, all of these breathless stories about what is life going to be like in a, a prison gulag for, for Brittany, Paul is already experiencing that and has for two years. Um, Trevor Reed, who has recently come home, can tell you a lot about what it's like in a prison gulag. This business of, of, you know, editors in particular wanting, you know, those clicks and likes, um, not so much the journalists themselves who often care very much about these stories. Um, you, you guys need to stop sort of putting, uh, family members in a position of sort of, you know, being made to look as if we're speaking out against each other, as if we're speaking out against the president, if that's not what we meant, if as if we're speaking out against NGOs or, or anyone who's trying to be helpful. The families who are involved in this process, we're not uh, politicians or public servants or, or, peop or people who are celebrities who are used to talking to the media. And it takes all of our effort and resources to get out there and, and you know, put ourselves out in front of the, of the public uh, spotlight. When, you know, you do everything you can to get your loved one mentioned at all, when finally, uh, you know, a celebrity like like Britney starts to attract all this attention and all of a sudden your loved one is put out there, pushed up to a level of either being someone who is spoken about um, as a political object and or isn't spoken about at all because they don't have that same celebrity. This is an extraordinarily horrible situation for a family to be in. And so I'm going to ask all of those journalists, media people who might be paying attention to this. Do not stop mentioning Paul Whelan when you're talking about Brittany. It's not all about the bright, shiny object. These are actual Americans who are being held wrongfully against their will for years and years in foreign countries. And they deserve more than just a, a little line at the end of a story. Um, and it, I would like to see all of these other families mentioned constantly, the, the ones held in, in Venezuela, in Iran, in, in China. Uh, it goes on and on. Um, I would like to see Maj Kamomaz mentioned every single time Austin Tice is mentioned. I would like all of the people held in Venezuela mentioned uh, each time one of them is, is mentioned. Um, these are all Americans of equal importance. They all need to be brought home. They all deserve the media attention. Um, if you need to do a little more research and a little bit more legwork to find out what life is going to be like for Brittany, there are, there are people you can talk to. If you want to understand hostage diplomacy better, uh, you can either talk to different families. Or you can call um, someone like Jason Rezaian at the Washington Post. Who's, he was a captive himself. He's more than happy to educate people as to what can be done. There are resources out there and families are depending on you to tell the story properly, to tell it deeply, to tell it fully, and to tell it often. Um, and, and we thank you for those, all of those in media who are already doing this. Uh, we ask that your editors support your efforts and, um, and thank you for what you have done to, to bring light to Paul Whelan's story. And uh, as Elizabeth said, I um, mean, there's another resource. You can listen to this podcast. <laughs> we're literally called, called Pod Hostage Diplomacy. You can listen to all our episodes to find out more. Um, Elizabeth, I've said this many times before and I'll say it again. We'll be campaigning right by your side until Paul comes back home. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us again. 
Thank you so much, Darren. You're absolutely right. I point people in the government, uh, NGOs, and the media to your uh, podcasts all the time uh, and tell them if they really want to understand what's going on with hostage diplomacy, uh, to listen to these stories. Thank you again. You're very welcome. It's an honor to help. Thank you for listening to Pod Hostage Diplomacy. Thank you for giving your time and for showing these families that they're not alone, that there are good caring people out there willing to stand by their side and help in any way possible. Because um, if enough people care, then the right people will care enough. Um, this is sort of a basic um, rule of thumb that is true for all campaigning. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our fortnightly newsletter called The Hostage Briefing. It's the best way to keep up to date with the cases we're working on, as well as new episodes. You can subscribe to this newsletter using the link in the description of this podcast episode that you're currently listening to. Thanks again, and take care.